This podcast is part of the Tremula Network, adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten track. To find out more, head to tremula.network or find us on socials. Seize Your Adventure is part of the Tremula Network, adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten track. You're listening to Seize Your Adventure, the podcast that shares stories of adventure and outdoor living with epilepsy. There's never going to be easy an adventure. It's always going to be uh, difficult at some point. You can find adventure in all, all parts of your life. It's just kind of how it makes you feel. When you're experiencing joy, you're experiencing excitement, you're experiencing fear, you're experiencing intimidation. But that's uh, that's one sacrifice that's it's worth to make because then um, it always leads to really positive things happening along the way. Challenging, completely off the wall things that everybody goes, oh, I don't think you should do that. That brings you somewhere that just feeds your soul. Hello, adventurers. I'm Fran Tarowskis, and I'm back again with another episode for you. So the observant among you will have noticed that this episode is not coming out on the 6th of May, like I promised it would. May has been a particularly busy month for me, so I can only apologise for not getting the episode out sooner, but I did want to make sure that it was a good one for you. So just to catch up, last month we had National Epilepsy Awareness Week and during that week I was lucky enough to turn 30 as well. So that was the start of my 30 at 30 challenge, 30 challenges that I'm going to do over the next year to try and raise awareness for epilepsy within the adventure community and also start a conversation about how people with epilepsy can start doing some of these challenges a little bit more. I was also actually on another podcast during that week. So if you head over to Tough Girl Challenges run by Sarah Williams, you'll hear an interview that I had there. And it was a great conversation. Sarah asked some lovely questions and managed to get me talking about things that I don't think I've spoken about anywhere else, in fact. Uh, So do go and have a listen to that one. So you just heard at the start of this episode... Some of the ideas of adventure that have come from our epilepsy adventurers over the past couple of months. The people that you've listened to have had some amazing journeys and they have told us what they feel adventure means to them. And I decided it was time to ask some people within the adventure community what they know about epilepsy. I've mentioned before that I am in fact an ambassador for a a group called Say Yes More. So that's a social enterprise. It creates events and spaces and situations that just bring people together, um, often getting outside, and it nudges people to realise what they're really capable of. And the Yes Tribe is a community of people built up around this. I reached out to people on the Yes Tribe Facebook page and I asked if anyone was willing to come and talk to me about epilepsy. And I managed to convince three tribe members to put their thoughts out to you. We got chatting. It was very difficult to cut down some of what was said, but I am going to give you a taster of some of the conversations. So I'll just introduce you quickly to the three people I spoke to. So first off is a fellow Say Yes More ambassador, Jago Hartland. 
my overall job is working in outdoor pursuits, whether it's working for mountaineering and trekking companies, cycle tour teams, and at the local lakes where we teach water pursuits as well. The next person I spoke to was David Willis. I teach bushcraft and generally looking after ourselves, building shelters. So it's, it's all about having fun in the woods. So it's kind of bushcraft, wilderness living skills, woodcraft. And lastly, this is Nikki Bass. I run a company called Resilience at Work, providing um, workshops, adventure workshops for individuals and for organisations. So I started off with a very broad question for them, and I just asked them, what do you know about epilepsy? So let's begin with Nikki's answer. Very little, I'm afraid. I've not really had very much contact with it and not I don't really well like I, said, I don't really know anyone who has epilepsy I'm I don't necessarily know if I know anyone who have um who has epilepsy which I guess probably is as revealing as anything else I just started volunteering for the wave project but that's a possibility that, that some of the young people that they have come along um may well have epilepsy and I guess that also stirred my interest because it was mentioned at one of the sort of the volunteer training or the sort of the briefing session that we had just that they would flag it up if they did have any um, children that came along who um, had epilepsy um, just so that we were aware um, because they don't normally give you a background into people's you know to, to why the why the kids are there um, and it just suddenly struck me and I thought actually that's really interesting because I'm not sure I would know if, if anything happened what to do in that situation what would be the best way to react. David actually had a really interesting answer because he grew up in a town called Chalfont St. Peter's. And Chalfont St. Peter's is actually where the Epilepsy Society is based. So the Epilepsy Society is now a charity, it's a residential home and it's also a specialist hospital. Here's how David remembers it when he was younger. It was a, a village principally for people with epilepsy so you used to see them around the village from time to time and sometimes where people would you know fall over and they, they, they were obvious because more often than not they were wearing a helmet or a hat or something so they didn't this is as a kid i'm trying to think that's like goodness me <laughs> that's the best part of 50 years ago I, I would hope things have changed a little but some you know but the condition uh, who knows i'm reasonably aware of what what may or may not prevail but also you know it's um yeah I, I guess my only experience is knowing that people may for whatever reason collapse but then i'm also expecting that nowadays more people are perhaps like yours are far more aware of what's going on mm -hmm. so i've never been asked by anybody who suffers actually that's not true i have but she doesn't exhibit any signs of it and doesn't seem to have any issues with it but um so maybe I should ask her, actually, for next time. <laughs> now, speaking to Jago was quite interesting because he talked about what he knew about seizures from his first aid training. And he mentioned that seizures and anaphylaxis are actually taught at the same time. And this gave him a little bit of confusion because seizure first aid and anaphylaxis first aid are actually quite similar. So we talked a little bit about the difference. Me thinking back to anaphylaxia and epilepsy is probably how um, your first aid teachers probably teach them in groups. So you always tend to teach, like, obviously with a seizure, you obviously try to do the most comfortable thing. So you're always going to be looking after people in that seizure. You're not going to be 
holding them down. You're not going to be putting anything in their mouths, which are things of the past, which obviously went badly wrong as well. But that's probably one of the mishaps as well, actually, being taught that obviously they're that group, so you don't actually realise what the difference between some of them are. So Jago picked up on a really important point there, which is the difference between seizure training and epilepsy training. So most people that work in the outdoors will have first aid training and will know what to do with a seizure, but they might not necessarily understand the different types of seizures that you get when you have epilepsy. It's also important to note that with seizures, they can be caused by other things as well as epilepsy. One in 20 people will have a seizure at some point in their life, whereas it's one in a 100 people that have epilepsy. And that one in a 100 people is still quite a lot. It means that most people will know someone with epilepsy, um, as we can hear from Nikki. Yes, it was actually at university. um, And like I said, it wasn't a direct experience, but um, somebody who... So I used to be part of our university ski and snowboard club and on the committee for that... Um, and the chair at the time started, and um, whilst she was sort of on the committee, started developing some symptoms um, that were a bit strange. And she ended, I think she ended up having a fit um, and was um, during that year diagnosed with epilepsy. And I just remember, I, di- I wasn't very close to her, so I didn't really know all the details, but I do remember it sort of the impact it had on her she wasn't allowed to drive anymore um, and to find out I mean we must have been sort of 1920 at that stage so it did have quite an impact on her life and I think especially being someone who was sort of outdoors and, and loved skiing and adventure and that side of things um, so I guess that's been my sort of uh, my closest experience of it in terms of you know seeing the, the the impact it can have on someone even just you know getting that diagnosis So I talked a little bit with all three of them about the fact that there are many different types of seizure that can happen when someone has epilepsy. So you have the very noticeable tonic-clonic seizures where somebody falls to the floor, they lose consciousness and they convulse. But there are other types of seizure which can cause things such as muscle jerks, muscle spasms, loss of consciousness but still standing up or sitting and lots of different things that are affecting your brain, but not necessarily as obvious as those tonic-clonic seizures. This is really important when it comes to doing things like risk assessments, and risk assessments are the perfect time to speak to an activity provider and give them more information about your epilepsy. Some people are far more open and helpful with explaining needs that people have whether it's adults or children or teenagers and others don't tend to tell you most people that do this sort of thing professionally running things will have a consent form and the key thing is there there's that box on that says is there anything i need to know in order to make things um safe and 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 enjoyable for you in terms of the risk assessments that you take with someone um, saying that they have epilepsy at a young age, obviously it would be down to the parent's choice and being in touch with the parents about it. But we would always keep a much closer eye on someone like that. Whereas obviously with an adult, it does become a little bit more difficult in some ways. The only ways being that, you know, we're not always having to be there to keep an eye on them because I can be an instructor or we can watch over them and the whole safety factor is there. Although uh, it's their choice. So it tends to be down on how well they know themselves and how well they can make that judgment call. 
but yeah, it's always better to be safer rather than sorry. So the risk assessment would always take into consideration how they feel about their health, any medication, or whether they know how well they are at this activity or any triggers. So we could ask them if they have triggers of stress. And obviously, pretty much always in the outdoors, if they're not used to it, there's quite a lot of stress factors involved. So we just try to measure those, measure their choices and measure those risks that we're running through. But yeah, just try and make it as safe as possible. So I did actually point out to Jago the assumption he made that someone needed to be looked after because they are prone to seizures. And we talked a little bit about the different type of seizures and how much support and adaptation some people might need and how little some other people might need. And once we talked about that, he understood much more the idea of an individual risk assessment depending on the type of epilepsy and how it presents. Nikki already had a really good idea of this, in fact. She talked a lot about working with the individual and also with the providers of the sport that she works with. So for me, I guess it would be very much be a conversation with the provider that I'm, that I'm partnering with. Um, they're the ones who would have the, the risk assessment for the physical aspect of it. Um, and I think it would really be a discussion around, you know, what their procedures are in place. They have the lifeguards and the surf. So for surfing, they provide the surf instructors who would be um, trained. And yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm imagining that every situation is probably different. Um, but actually, like you said, people can have a, a condition that actually for some of them is more present than for others. Um, and I suppose it would just have to be, and, and because my groups are quite small, I think it's a very open conversation with the, um, the individual as well, um, about where they feel that their limits are and what their situation is. Um, and, and just trying to take all of that into account. Um, but I'm very conscious of not automatically sort of, I guess, saying that you have to be in a, you know, there is a, a certain, um, I guess, level that you need to be to sort of meet to be able to take part in the activities um, because I'm, I'm really conscious about this is making what I do as, as open and available to everybody who wants to take part. So having talked about how the risk assessments themselves would work, I did speak with all of them as to how they would look at adapting activities. And I think that David summed up really nicely just small adaptations that we can do to make sure that those activities he runs are a little bit safer if somebody is prone to seizures. Fire safety, you know, when you're around in the woods having fires, always having buckets of water and things around anyway. Yeah, so if I've got someone who potentially could have some a seizure of some description and it could be of course you know if if, if it happens that it's going to be when they're near the fire or something then at least being able to actually quench the fire if you think actually that's a risk i just want to pick up a bucket of water and i put the fire out you know which is not the same as moving it <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> there must be all sorts of other ways and means around it i should think maybe it's simply the fact that actually everybody gives the fire a slightly wider berth than normal the fire is a little bit more out of reach or if you're doing anything next to the fire people are are sitting down from speaking to jago david and nikki i think that there are gaps in knowledge across the board and this mostly comes down to the the different types of epilepsy the different types of seizure and how it affects everyone in a different way 
One thing that was really good to hear from all of them was that willingness to have the conversation, to speak to the individual about what they needed and to be willing to adapt things and willing to make amendments to make sure that someone can actually get involved in their activity. The key thing is being able to formulate the right questions to ask so that they're not too intrusive, but at the same time, they're showing that you're interested and that you just want to make sure things are safe. They're not, these are questions that you want to ask people. They're not putting barriers up so that you can't do something. In a way, they're almost making sure that you can do all the exciting stuff that we want you to do. And that's the really important thing. It's making sure that you know your epilepsy and you know how it presents and the person providing the activity knows their activity. And by speaking together, that's how you can adapt and that's how you can keep everyone safe, including yourself. So I did rush through some of the seizure and epilepsy information there. So if you would like to know more, I do have a little bit of information on the Seizure Adventure website. So that's seizureadventure.com. Scroll to the bottom and click on the Learn About Epilepsy tab. You can also go to some websites which are really useful. So you've got Epilepsy Society, you've got Epilepsy Action, And also Young Epilepsy is a really good one for teaching children about their own epilepsy. And also if you are working with children with epilepsy, that is a great place to go and have a look at. Now, speaking of Young Epilepsy, I am actually raising some money for them. One of the challenges I'm doing for 30 at 30 is a 100 kilometre trail run. So that's over two days along the Ridgeway in the UK. And I'm trying to raise £500 for young epilepsy whilst I'm doing this. If you'd like to find out more about the run and if you'd like to donate, you can go to my personal website. That's francescatorowskis.co.uk. The link for that is in the show notes for you. I know it's a bit of a long name to remember. I'd just like to say a massive thank you to Jago, David and Nikki for agreeing to talk about something which they didn't know very much about. There is quite a lot of bravery in getting involved in a conversation on record about something that you you don't know the answer to. And I think by doing that, it's really helpful to others out there who might have the same questions or might have the same gaps in their knowledge. So that's it for today's episode. A little bit different to usual, but I think it's something that's very useful going forward. If you did enjoy it, please do share it. Obviously, go ahead and listen to all the other episodes if you haven't already. We have some great stories, so creative non-fiction stories, and some fantastic interviews with some adventurers with epilepsy. Going forward for the rest of the month, I'm continuing in the theme of working with adventure providers. So I'm going to have two episodes coming up, both based around my 30 at 30 challenge. In next episode, you get to hear about my ice climbing adventure. So here is a little snippet for you. Okay, let's go. I swung the axe back. And I tried to bring it forward again with that flick of the wrist. There you go, bites my form. 
A bit like Indiana Jones with a whip. And then, just as I started to feel like I was getting the hang of things. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Hang on. <laughs> right, let's uh, try that again. <laughs> So that one's going to be out next week for you. I'm not going to make the mistake of giving you a precise day because I am still very busy with my training for the 100 kilometer run, but it will be out next week. Thank you very much for joining me again today. It is great to be back. And I did, of course, ask Jago, Nikki and David what adventure means to them. So I'll leave you with their thoughts. And until next time, safe adventures, everyone. Adventure has always given me a sense of purpose. Adventure to me is absolutely about a mindset, not about an event. It's a leafy shelter. It's something that you've built to keep warm and cosy and keep the elements at bay. It's about how you approach um, any challenge or opportunity or any change in life. It's a fire where you've cooked your food, you've made a brew, the kettle simmers. There's the warmth on your body from the glow of the embers. We're taking on challenges in the great outdoors whilst engaging with other people. And sometimes it's just simply good to share it with others too. This podcast is part of the Tremula Network. Adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten track. To find out more, head to tremula.network.